So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance. On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine. On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers. And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Man fans. Ollie Man here with The Modern Man. Now, I've certainly recorded in some pretty fancy places over the past couple of years. You'll have heard me at the back of a porter cabin in Thorpe Park. Uh, you'll have heard me in a zip car with Alex Fox when we couldn't find a studio. Uh, and you'll have heard me in a theatre basement where there were so many dusty costumes that it was quite hard to breathe properly. Um, I think this week, producer Matt and I went to the most glamorous place we have actually ever recorded an interview, Parliament. Yeah, that's right. The actual seat of power in the UK. Uh, That is pretty impressive, isn't it? Uh, Because my guest this week is a guy called Wes Streeting. He's an MP, but it's okay if you haven't heard of him. It's not really an interview about politics, this. What what it is, is is when I used to be uh, on LBC Radio... Uh, He used to come and be on my news panel occasionally, and I always just felt when I spoke to him that he seemed like a normal-ish, reasonable-ish, okay, I mean, he's a politician, but like a normal-ish young person. And I thought, you know, people have such cynicism these days when they think about politicians, and I wanted to do an episode of this show where we have honest, no-bullshit conversations with people who do lots of interesting jobs about what it's like, what it's actually like being a Member of Parliament in 2017. So I I tried to treat this interview no differently to, you know, when this series we spoke to a mortician or a warm-up man. You know, being an MP is an interesting job. So that's what this interview is. I don't try and catch him out. I don't ask clever questions. I don't ask him what he thinks about Jeremy Corbyn. This is about finding out what it's really like. And I think there's some really interesting stuff in it. Um, We had to go to Portcullis House to, to interview him. Well, we didn't have to. We asked if we could. And um, that's the MP office block next to the House of Commons. I'd never been in before. We did have to queue for a while to get in. Security was a little bit rude. Uh, being a hit podcaster apparently sways nothing in Westminster. Um, but once we were in, um, it was very exciting. You could sort of almost walk into any MP's office without being any attendant security. And the whole place had the vibe of a faded 1970s hotel. Um, there is a swanky atrium with lots of expensive fig trees in it. But beyond that, it's all kind of uh, faded green carpet and old wooden doors. It was great. Uh, so, on this week's show, you will learn what is in the envelope you're given when you win an election. You'll learn what Alex Fox sounds like, channelling Mystic Meg. And you'll learn what asymptomatic shedding is. It's not arranged by Cuprinol. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man. One MP's Hindu WhatsApp group has now evolved into just a general chit-chat banter group. Drinking, plotting and other traditions. What's life like now for a young MP at Westminster? There are actually herpes-specific dating sites. And Alex Fox explains why an STD shouldn't spell the end for your sex life. 
But first, it's the zeitgeist. All the trends you need to know about with the man who, against all odds, has slowly, across this series, been becoming a true trends insider. It's Ollie Peart. And Ollie, I join you this week amidst one of your challenges actually taking place. Yeah, smells good, doesn't it? It, it, it does. Hi, Hersha. If you've forgotten what challenge that is, that's weird. Tell us what the big trends are this week. Cryptocurrency. Okay, I'd like to know a little bit more about Bitcoin and stuff because there's a man fan out there who's actually volunteered to pay us beer money in cryptocurrency. And truth is, I didn't know what to say in response to the email. You're mad? Take it, because you could be a millionaire within a few days. I, I could, or I could spend like three hours setting up a virtual wallet <laughs> no. for a currency I'll never be able to spend, Ollie, and it's, it's only three pounds seventy before or whatever. No, it's easier. Uh, well, the story is that there's a new kid on the block. All right, right? there's another currency called Ethereum, and at the beginning of this year, you could buy one of these Ethereums for ten dollars. Okay. Now they're worth four hundred dollars. People are wanting to cash in big time, and the way you cash in on it is you mine these coins right normal money is made in like a mint right and they yes. press metal into coins with the queen's face on it this i don't need a lesson in but with cryptocurrency the coins already exist and you have to find it using complex algorithms and all that kind of stuff yeah. so you you doing a nice user-friendly introduction about the royal mint doesn't help understand what you've just said afterwards it doesn't make any more sense yeah it does so the coins have already been created. They already exist. Physical coins. No. No. Digi- digital. Right. And then you have to digitally mine them, find them, using maths. But to do that, you need a lot of computing power for it to become sort of worthwhile. And that means you need GPUs, right? GPUs are the uh, graphics cards that basically take the bulk of the work. And because people are investing in this so much, they are chartering. 747s to ship GPUs from China to wherever they need them so that they can mine these coins and make millions and millions and millions of dollars. You know, that's why you should take the cryptocurrency. I'd take it if it was easy. We could have like 20 beers for the price of one beer. Assuming that this man fan wants to donate the typical unit of beer money, which is Mm £3.47, I get that in five years' time that might be worth £3,000 because it's in cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. although equally it might be worth nothing at all. It's not that I don't want the money, it's that I just can't be bothered to invest the two hours it would take to learn how to get it because it is actually worth £3.47. Do you see? Do you want to do it? Do you want to open up a cryptocurrency wallet? Yes. You can have all the money. I'll do that. All right. By next week, mm. set us up a cryptocurrency depository thing. Mm-hmm. I'm adding an extra challenge to your list of challenges because you've enjoyed them so much. If people pay us beer money through that, I did earlier say you get all of it. That now seems unfair to everyone else. You'll get 50%. Okay? Sounds fair. Sounds 50% fair. to you, the remaining yep. 50% split between me, Matt, and Alex on that beer money. Cha-ching. What else have you got for us this week? K-pop. So this is Korean pop, right? South Korean pop. It's so popular. There's a girl that was so excited about K-pop, she's put a hammer in her mouth. Explain. Her and her friend like K-pop. Mm-hmm. And she said, I love K-pop so much that I'm going to put a hammer in my mouth. I mean, I'm sure this is a really extraordinary and important story, but I am getting distracted by the smell of delicious Indian food whilst you're talking. What happened to her mouth? Well, it had a hammer in it. Yeah, no, but then what happened? Did she lose her teeth? No, she didn't smash her teeth with the hammer. She just put the hammer in. If you had a hammer and someone said, put this in your mouth, you wouldn't smash your teeth in. Okay, so what's the trend here? The point is, right, when you were a kid, yeah. show your devotion to anything, like if it was your favourite car, your favourite band, whatever, you'd buy a poster and you stick it on your wall. And But what's happening now is teenagers are just posting pictures of themselves on social media. And now, I guess, with Instagram and Snapchat, you show 
who you are and what you're into by pictures of your own face reacting to stuff. Well, people are way more happy sharing. Like when Facebook first came out, for example, like you were unlikely to take a picture of your own face and post it up on Facebook. You'd take a picture of stuff. But now people are way more happy to take pictures of themselves doing silly stuff and putting it up on Facebook or YouTube or whatever. I mean, you're talking about people like they're other people. Mm. You have sent me, in place of an emoji, a picture of you doing a thumbs up, yeah. for example. Well, well, you know, I'm more emotive than an emoji. Right. Oh, I'm stuck on a train, and then picture of you with a sad, literally doing sad face. Yeah. <laughs> You've done that. It's easier. Okay, let's move on, I think, to uh, the thing we're literally here for. Your quest to become a true trends insider, the list of challenges we gave you earlier in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's deal with why right now we're in Homerton. Food. Yes. We're around a table. We're around a table in someone's house. Hersha is here and she's cooking us food. Yes. And one of the challenges was? Well, it was to sit at a chef's table and you kind of squandered it, but you've squandered it magnificently, may I say. Hersha's putting the food on the table now. What have we got? Well, we've got a classic doll. A smoky aubergine curry. Mm. Taking note that you're a vegetarian. Yes. We've got a traditional Gujarati street food called um, doklas, which is a steamed thingy. And then we've got these little pancakes that are made out of fermented coconut and rice that you have with the fresh coconut sambal. And of course, the purpose of being at the chef's table, Ollie, was that you might learn from these expert cooks a little bit about the magic that they weave. Mm -hmm. The whole time I've been here, we've been recording and you haven't been watching anything that Hersh has been doing at all. No, unfortunately not. But Hersh has got her own YouTube channel. What is your YouTube channel? It's called Cook with the Little Indian. There you go. And you can just learn on there, Ollie. So I I don't need to learn anything today. I can just sit here and enjoy food, and then I can learn when I get home. Cop out! I mean, is there anything, Hersh, that you can teach Ollie quickly about how you've created this? I'm particularly interested. Coriander chutney. It's really easy. You just need a bunch of coriander, a tomato, a tiny bit of sugar, a bit of salt, a squeeze of lemon... Yeah, whiz it all up, and it's a great condiment with, with scrambled eggs. And if Ollie had been paying attention, Hersher, what might he have observed from your cooking style? I love mustard seeds. I use mustard seeds a lot in my cooking. And a tip is to heat the oil and let the mustard seeds pop before you add anything, because if you don't let them pop, they'll taste bitter. Ah, yeah. that's a good tip. And be careful tip. when you let them pop, because they might pop in your face. So. Thanks, Hersher. So, uh, let's go through your list. What have you completed in the series thus far. Have you become Twitter verified? No. They still haven't got back to you? Still haven't got back to me. I'm just worried for you, Ollie, that you're never going to get an answer now because it's never going to be important enough for anyone to deal with it and they're not going to want to just say no again. Listen, don't worry about me. So many other people are verified. I will be the odd one out. I will be the unique one. So don't worry about me. Have you held Nando's black card? Yes. yes. And I was... Um, leaving the house the other day and yeah. just as I was the postman arrived and he had no. a letter for me to sign no is this you what I think fe- it is feel free to open it no fuck off Nando's haven't sent you a black card okay they sent you a chicken check still <laughs> that's pretty good Ollie Pitt even though you're vegetarian read the note love Nando's so not only have I held a black card but I've gone one further have you become a Freemason no nope. no but good enough yes have you tried the latest cult skincare treatment or product I have some stuff it's called Frankincense Intense Lift Serum. Okay. And I've got one for Are you. you. Gonna do, is this us trying it now? Is that yeah, what because, do? and the reason it's in a sachet and there's not much of it yeah. is because uh, a pot of it, a small, tiny little pot is 75 quid. Shit, the bed. Yeah, so they literally, I mean, this now, this is probably like 10 quid right in your face. This tiny sachet. It says on it, 83% of women agree that their skin appears visibly lifted. Mm-hmm. 
instantly. Yes, skin that's... feels tighter and hydrated. Okay, so should we see what happens instantly? Whether we feel instantly tighter and hydrated, like it promises. Ready? It's a bit smelly. There are a few things that I did try and get hold of, which I couldn't. So one of them is uh, a, a snail sort of face gel. Uh, Made is, of snail. It, it, yeah, it's got like a snail like gunk protein in it or something. And I was trying to get it, but I, I could only get it from the United States and I couldn't get it here soon enough. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, this particular serum I'm enjoying rubbing onto my face. Yeah, I can so tell. thanks. I do feel tighter now. I do feel ever so slightly tighter now. Yes. Uh, have you joined an elite dating app? Yes. yes. Have you acquired AAA access to a festival? Yes. yes. Now that happened this weekend. And I've kept these wristbands on as proof to you of the access that I acquired. So there's an orange main stage wristband mm-hmm. and there's one that says Artist Weekend. Artist Weekend, You were Ollie. down as an artist. I got artist accreditation. Piss artist. I went up and they said, who are you with? And I said, Reverend and the Makers. What and they was went, the backstage area like? Not very glamorous. The Reverend and the Makers dressing room was half a porter cabin. And are they glam porter cabins? No. Is there any effort to make them... I mean, you know, do they put carpets down? No. Is there gold wallpaper? No. 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 Porter cabins like you used to yeah, get taught with, in at school when the classroom got rained in. With a, a bucket, a gardening bucket that's just full of beer and drinks. And that dressing room was next to All Saints, the All Saints dressing room. Wow, you were next to the All Saints dressing room. I was next room. to the All Saints. The coolest bit was the free food. It was like salads and all that kind of stuff. It was pretty healthy. Rock festival, mm-hmm. they're going to supply quinoa. That's a new thing, I think. Yeah, the green room was basically a big tent Yes. with like a green sheet on the walls and there was a few people that looked like they'd been doing some drugs lying on a beanbag. Looked like they'd been doing some drugs. Yeah, they could have just been really tired. Yes, they could have been. Because, I mean... John, for example, and the team, they uh, had to get up at 5.30 in the morning and drive all the way down, and they're yeah. driving right back up north afterwards. Okay, there you are. You've been our intrepid researcher. I just want to say I'm thanks. To, yes. But I want to say thanks to Jim, firstly, because actually he's the modern man listener. Who's Jim? Jim, Jim Taylor is a keyboard player, but he's only a part-time keyboard player for Reverend of the Makers. Right. And he's our regular listener, not I see. John. Thanks, Jim. Have you acquired tickets to the London Transfer of Hamilton? No. But? I've spoken to Janine. Okay, good. And That's better than before. Who's Janine? Janine is the uh, press lady for uh, for the show. Is she? She is. In the UK? Basically, she, she emailed me back and she said, you, you can't have tickets. Because no. uh, who are you, yeah. basically? And you've publicly been on record saying you hate musicals. Well, no, no, I don't think that. I'm just, I, well, I, just underlining that in case you missed that. I literally think she doesn't care who I am. But she... Um, <laughs> but today... I thought, well, it was it was this morning. I thought, do you know what? I'm going to email her because you'll get annoyed if I haven't made any progress. And I just say, how about this? I'm glad if I can't my influence have... is rubbing off in some way. <laughs> if I can't have tickets, yeah. how about just a backstage tour or sitting in a rehearsal? Love the way you're stuff. thinking, yeah. She emails me. She says, what's your number? I'll give you a call. <gasps> Getting excited, aren't I? Have so, you spoken to Janine? I've spoken to Janine. She what called did she me say? Up. She goes... Um, hi, Ollie. Yeah, uh, <laughs> thanks for um, calling. Like, I, just, I don't really understand what you want. We're not doing rehearsals until October. We're really, really busy. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, we've got someone in there now, like ripping the set to shreds, and like the whole place is being gutted. Uh, why do you think I've got the time? Wow. To uh, you know, sort you out and give you backstage. I mean, I really don't understand. Anyway, she hung up on me. <gasps> that's rude. So I'm going to boycott it. Right, that's what you've done. Go and see any other show apart from Hamilton. I see. Because you've made an ethical choice. It's too elitist. Your overwhelming failure of eight consecutive weeks of not even trying. I was hurt by it. Right. Okay. Because I was a nobody. If you think the theatre world is elitist, you're right. It is. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Me too. Uh, Forward me Janine's email address. Janine, you and I could be mates. Bye. Bye. Now. 
We all think we know about life in Westminster. The gossiping, the backstabbing, PMQs. But of course, being an MP can't all be like it is on the telly. Wes Streeting is Member of Parliament for Ilford North, a Labour MP who won his seat, aged 32, from the Conservatives in 2015, with a majority of just 589 votes. I asked him to take me back to his first experiences after being elected. One of the first things that happened to me after I emerged from, I think, two hours sleep, still shell-shocked that I'd won, and I got a call from the BBC saying, will you come on and talk to Andrew Neil about your shock win? So I said, yeah, sure, I'm up for that. So I, my shirt, came in, and when you win the election, you get a little envelope, a bit like sort of Willy Wonka's golden ticket, sort of telling you to arrive at a certain time on a certain day. But it said on there, you know, if you're able to come in earlier and you want to, then give this number a call. So I rang and I said, I'm doing a BBC interview, I'll be around. And they said, oh, this is hours after you found out you won. Hours after I found out I won. And I said, you know, I just thought I'd give you a ring in case anything useful I can do. And I was thinking things like, you know, fill in a form to get my pass and all that kind of stuff. And I came in and there was this whole induction operation already up and running. So I think I was the second MP to arrive. And it was just surreal, you know, going from desk to desk, doing all the practicalities. You know, my parliamentary pass was ready, giving your bank details so you can actually get paid. And then I got kind of one-to-one tour of the whole Palace of Westminster. And um, I'd never actually been in the House of Commons chamber before. Had you not? And that was a... that was a, I've just got goosebumps talking about it, but that was a real kind of pinch yourself, I can't believe I'm here moment. But presumably then that means that, you know, the bloke who held your seat before you, he had hours to clear his office as well, did he? That's the most brutal part of an election. And I looked into this because I wasn't sure if I was going to keep my seat at the 2017 general election. MPs have a few days to basically clear their offices. And so for the first few days, you did have the spectacle um, in 2015 and most recently in the 2017 election of former MPs walking around carrying their boxes and it's it's really sad and in fact I got on very well with my conservative predecessor on a personal level and I saw a Newsnight interview with him and other former MPs days later and I had a lump in my throat watching it because although I was delighted I won and wouldn't swap places for a second it was quite hard listening to people talk about their experience of just losing their jobs and Mm. losing their jobs in a very public way and although it's an election and you know what you sign up for being the person responsible for putting the other person out of work doesn't make you feel good so I was elated and still am elated to be an MP you know there was that almost remorse about the fact that you know beating someone else and putting them out of a job. Okay, so take me back to the first proper day then what were your first thoughts and reflections on working in that building? It is definitely a bit weird, but I love it. It's an old building, though, isn't it? The house. Oh, it's falling down, and it's it's rat infested as well. It's in a really terrible condition. It needs to be redone. And I know it's kind of fashionable these days to say, "Oh well, you know, let's put Parliament in Manchester and move the heart of government out of London." But you know, I think the Palace of Westminster and the site that we occupy has been the heart of British government for centuries and we should keep it that way. What I would change is some of the stuff that people see on telly that I think does alienate people. You know, when we stand up in the House of Commons and we refer to people by their constituency and, you know, honourable and right honourable gentlemen or, Mm. you know, honourable lady, which I think sounds even worse and more patronising. I think that sort of stuff is a barrier to debate and I think there are better ways of reforming the language of the place. So what's that like when you stand up and you contribute in the House of Commons? Because it seems to me you might be thinking just as much about the etiquette of what you're saying as what you're actually trying to say. Yeah, you do get used to it though. It's, it's fun watching the new kids on the block 
because when you first arrive you really do have to concentrate on this stuff and learn not to say you in the chamber otherwise the speaker gets upset you can't say you no because you're speaking through the chair so the speaker or his deputies they're 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 overseeing proceedings so if i say you i'm referring to mr speaker rather than you the The mp MP for wherever Um, and that's part of maintaining some politeness and formality because you know it can become a bit personal the debate otherwise but you have to kind of really learn all this stuff and you know, spend a lot of time sort of remembering people's constituencies and not just their names, which is just a bit... It's difficult. Well, it's almost like a kind of public school type thing, that. Yeah, I think some people are definitely more equipped to adjust to life here than others. I, I'm a sort of Stepney Council estate boy, and so in that sense, I'm quite unusual in terms of the traditional backgrounds of MPs. Mine is not a traditional background. Having said that, you know, I went to an inner city state comprehensive, did well, but I went to Cambridge University. So in some ways, the surroundings of my university and some of the pomp and ceremony of Cambridge was preparation for this place. So I've never been daunted by those traditions. And my attitude when I went to Cambridge was always, you know, I've earned my right to be here and I'm not going to be off by the posh kids and you know sometimes you stand up you know you sort of listening to debates and colleagues will say oh you do realize that person's one of the biggest property owners in the country and you realize how much personal wealth some mps have and you know that explains a lot i think in terms of their outlook and perspective and their priorities but generally speaking this is a welcoming place and you know there is always a, a huge amount of goodwill towards you when you first arrive which probably degrades over over, over the weeks and months was that a surprise that actually perhaps you had as many connections with Conservatives as you did with people in your own party based on all kinds of other things? There is definitely a lot more cross-party cooperation and friendship than I would ever imagine before I came in. And general elections are a real mixed sword. You obviously want your, you know, sort of mixed blessing or double-edged sword. I'm mixing my metaphors. But, <laughs> you know, at, at general election time, there they were, although I, you know, obviously want Labour to win and win seats there were still seats with Conservative MPs and Lib Dem MPs that I was keeping an eye on and certain people that on a personal level you want to see re-elected. Luckily, a lot of the Tories I get on with tend to have safer seats rather than marginal seats, so it's not so much of a of a dilemma there. But I was sad. You know, James Berry, the MP for Kingston and Surbiton for the last two years, won his seat from Ed Davey and lost it to Ed Davey, the Lib Dem. I feel, on a personal level, really sorry for him, although normally I'd rather see, you know, obviously a Labour MP win, but actually... Generally speaking, in a Lib Dem Tory marginal, I would rather see a Lib Dem win. On a human level, I totally get that. As the public looking in, do you see how that can look like, oh, they're all the same? You know, they go out on the campaign trail and they say, we're totally different to each other. But then you watch, um, for example, Ed Balls and George Osborne have become sofa buddies on TV recently, haven't they? It's quite clear that they actually quite like each other. And there they were in the House of Commons for four or five years, tearing shreds out of each other, saying that they hated each other. And you sort of look at it and you think, Oh, is it all an act then? The political differences definitely aren't an act, but you can have, and I think it's healthy to have friends who don't agree with you and have different perspectives. And one of the things that I always find in this place is that as much as you've got friends on the other side, ultimately when you walk through voting lobbies in different directions on different issues, you're reminded about why you're in different political parties. You know, you can still have friendship with people on the other side of politics and you can have respect for them common interests but also really important differences and I think there are very very fundamental ideological differences between you know me and my conservative friends in this place. So which of the traditions took you by surprise? Well it's one thing to 
think you know how Parliament works. And obviously, as someone who did a lot of campaigning for different pressure groups and charities before I got elected, I kind of felt I knew quite a lot already about how Parliament works. But there is no substitute for actually doing it. So even things like how to vote, you know, walking through the voting lobbies, working out what it is you're actually voting on. When how, you, how do you mean? What's confusing? Because one of the things that people get really annoyed about when they watch the telly is they say, where are all these MPs? They're not sitting in the chamber. They're obviously not working. And yeah. people don't realise the extent to which there are always House of Commons committees running around the place. Um, we're meeting constituents. We're catching up on emails, researching, preparing for speeches, preparing for de- debates. There's lots of work that goes on outside the chamber. But when you're in the middle of that work you know, the division bell goes, it rings around the whole parliamentary estate and you've got eight minutes to get from wherever you are to the voting lobby to vote. And you may not necessarily know what it is you're voting on. You've just got to run there. And most of the time you trust your party whips because, you know, they'll be telling you, you know, what the Labour position is and which way to go. But there have been um, occasions, particularly recently over Europe, where I don't agree with my party's position necessarily. And so I can't just blindly walk through a voting lobby I've got to work out what what the issue is we're voting on is this an amendment where I'm supporting the party line and which voting lobby am I going to walk through and then there are things like and is it dramatic I mean when you get to the lobby is there an element of oh god he's voting that way I didn't expect that oh on certain votes yeah for sure and there have been some occasions where the SNP have called votes for example or divisions as we call them and um We'll, we'll be voting with the Tories against the SNP and that is always because you're packed into these tight voting lobbies and you know you there you are kind of rubbing shoulders literally rubbing shoulders with the Prime Minister or the Chancellor or the leader of the opposition because sometimes people say well, why don't you do electronic voting the, the brilliant thing about the vote is that it's the one moment where all MPs are brought to the same place at the same time and that is your opportunity to buttonhole a minister and say I need to have a word with you about an important issue in my constituency or an important case. How much of it is gossip? Because the way it's portrayed in the Oh, media, like, there's definitely loads of gossip. Yeah, no, there's definitely, definitely a lot of that. When those stories break in the Times or the Telegraph, you know, some MP's been exposed for something or other, is that what people are talking about in the division lobby? Oh, they will do, yeah. Although there, there's a lot of kindness in this place as well. So if someone is down on their luck or something's happened in their personal life, people are actually quite sympathetic, I think. If there isn't open plotting in, in the in the division lobby where does that happen uh bars offices whatsapp <laughs> i think um there's definitely there's definitely a, a modernization of the plotting process now <laughs> i think there and there are whatsapp groups for everything um you know i'm i'm in a whatsapp group with all of the labor mps who were elected in 2015 um and that's a really nice group really friendly group um we tend to keep politics out of it most of the time which is which is how we all get on one mp's hindu whatsapp group has now evolved into just a general chit chat banter group and you know then there are issues based whatsapp groups around things like europe or you know the all party parliamentary group for british muslims that i'm involved in there are whatsapp groups for everything how seriously do you think you were taken or are taken as a relatively younger mp i mean because some people will say it's amazing what you accomplished, what you described. You know, you went from relatively humble beginnings to Cambridge University and managed, you know, almost immediately, basically through campaigning to become an MP. Other people will say, that's exactly the kind of MP we don't need. We need MPs that are in their 50s, that have got life experience. That's the problem with politics. I've never felt when I stand up and speak in the chamber or contribute to debates that people aren't taking me seriously because I'm relatively young. In the constituency, it was a bit more mixed. There are lots of people, actually interestingly, particularly older voters, who love the, the fact that they've got a young MP and they talk about this positively. And Why? What do they like about that? 
I think they just feel that politics in this country is quite stale and stagnant and you know people say things like oh we need young blood we need new energy we need people with new ideas what are your constituency surgeries like because I think in the public imagination we think of Steve Coogan and in the loop there are definitely don't get wrong there are definitely um, there are definitely some moments that are a bit like the thick of it or in the loop some constituents I would describe as um, frequent callers (laughs) who um, are very rarely have the most serious problems but are the ones that are most regularly in touch but that's fine that's your job but actually my surgeries are usually the hardest bit of my job actually because people come and see you on a Friday afternoon and they are always the most serious cases because if it's easy to deal with we deal with it without people having to come and see me the people who come to see me are generally those at the severe serious end of the spectrum and it's quite hard listening to people in really awful situations dis- describe what they've, they're going through and it's even more hard if you can't solve the problem what do you say to people face to face when, when you need to tell them, look, I can't help you. Is, is there a technique? I, honesty is always the best policy. I never want to lead people up the garden path. And sometimes it's tempting to say, well, don't worry, I'll give it another go. And actually, all you end up doing is raising false hopes and expectations. So I'm always willing, if, if they've got anything they, they want me to do, I'll do it. But I'll always preface it with honesty and say, I don't think this is going to make a difference, but I will try. How much drinking goes on in the House of Commons? Ah, uh... Not as much as it used to, apparently. Um, but there's still too much. Yes and I no. I mean, not to be puritan. No, about no. It. Yes, no. I'm definitely not puritan about. So I'm I'm the last person to throw stones on this subject. <laughs> there is definitely in the evenings a sort of a bar culture, and I think that's partly because a lot of MPs are, are here, away from their families throughout the week, and yeah. you know it's lonely going back to your little fat flat by yourself in Westminster. I'm in a slightly different position. I live in London, so I get to go home every night um, to my own my own bed in my own home in my own constituency. I, th- I think we've just got to be a bit careful, you know, in terms of looking out for people's welfare. You know, there have been too many examples of MPs developing drink problems and mental health problems because of the stress and the pressures of this place and the demands on family life. And, you know, I don't expect anyone to sort of crack out the violins for MPs. We're not, we're not hun- hard done by compared to lots of people in society. But, you know, that is the risk, I think, um, it, you know, is about that, that side of the drinking culture. But generally, it's not... I don't think it's unhealthy. I mean, some people say it's an, another example of why it's harder for women in this place as well. One thing is the childcare, um, which obviously affects all parents, but particularly women. And the other thing is that drinking culture that, generally speaking, women are, are less into that. I, I, and also, you know, there'll be um, increasing numbers of MPs coming in who don't drink at all. And um, we've got to be careful that politics isn't, uh, you know, isn't conducted in the bars and that isn't where everything happens. And actually, you know, if you go to Strangers, which is the MP's bar, is that in the building of... Yeah, it's in the Palace of Westminster. Um, you don't find huge numbers there all the time in the way that you used to. I think I think it has changed a lot and people are much more keen to get away. And the, and the family-friendly sitting hours have been important as well because on Monday nights we sit right through to 10 o'clock at night. But Tuesdays and Wednesdays, Thursdays, we finish at 7, 7 and then 5. You know, most people finish work at 5 or 6. At least if you've finished work at 7, you might be able to race home in time to tuck the kids into bed if you've got just. kids and they live in London just yeah. I mean if they're three years old they're going to be asleep aren't they yeah well you'd hope so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what for you has actually been the hardest day since you arrived in this place uh, the hardest day was when Joe Cox was shot I think um, and the aftermath of that I think you know it was such a shocking thing to happen to a colleague and and a friend and I think all of us and you know as individuals and our families felt very vulnerable um for quite a while and still do actually that's cast a 
you know, a sort of long shadow over this place. Um, and, um, you know, the idea that that someone would be murdered on the streets of their own constituency at, on their way to an advice surgery. And not, there is a reason why there's an outpouring of kind of love and affection and, you know, the warmest tributes for Joe. And it's not just because of the appalling circumstance in which she was murdered. It's because she was genuinely one of the best and brightest stars of this place. And so there wasn't just a shock that this could happen to any MP. The idea it would happen to this MP made it even more shocking. And, um, you know, I think I think politicians probably do feel a lot more vulnerable than we ever have, even though, you know, she is not the first MP to be murdered in the line of duty. Um, her shield now sits in the House of Commons alongside... MPs like Airy Neve, you know, and other victims of, of IRA terrorism. But this, this was, I think, uniquely shocking and chilling and very difficult to, to deal with. Mm. And then you had the terror attack as well, of course, in, in the palace. Um, I mean, there was a lot of security today. Do you feel safe here? <laughs> I do. And, and you, know, I, I, you know, a couple of schools in my constituency and other schools have cancelled school visits. And I hope in time they start coming back because this is still one of the safest places in the country to work. It is a fortress and it's a lot for our families to get their head around as well. The first thing I did when it was clear something was going on was come straight back to the office with Pete and, you know, our staff and people who are walking down the corridors and, like, lock ourselves in the office. Pete's your office buddy. Yeah, and the second thing I did was text um, my immediate family to say, you're going to see on TV soon something's happening in Parliament, but I'm safe. Who were you particularly worried about there when you say your immediate family? Is there someone in your family? My partner, my mum, my dad and my brothers and sisters. If you had to pick one, what's the reaction that you think, they in particular, I'm worried about how I say this to them or I know that this is going to affect them? My partner worries a lot about security. So um, I think he's, he's the person I'd have to reassure most quickly followed very closely by my mum, who is largely hysterical. Um, you know, when I was going to um, Israel and Palestine, for example, her first concern was, oh, don't get blown up. Oh, I don't want you to go. Um, so, you know, the idea that she would turn on the TV and see that at my place of work, there is an attack unfolding. Because also we didn't know what was going on initially because, you know, all I heard when we were coming in and the TV speculation was that someone had driven over Westminster Bridge killing people that there was an incident outside the front of Portcullis House, the MP's office block, and that there was someone trying to attack us from the front gate and there were, there were gunshots on the estate. So to me, that sounded like three incidents unfolding. And you lock yourself in thinking, is it true that there's someone with a gun on the estate? Does someone have a knife? There was all this speculation kind of swirling round, not helped, I have to say, by one or two MPs who immediately hit the radio airwaves to say, oh, it's t- I was shot at. You, no, you weren't shot at. You heard the gunfire of the of the security detail that shot the guy dead. But so sometimes, you know, the, the hysteria gets carried away. And I, I just sort of, you know, we tried to create an atmosphere of calm in this office. We had the telly on and we had a whole eclectic group of people, me and Pete Kyle, who I share an office with, our staff and there are a couple of women who clean the building who were just sat outside on the corridor and didn't have anywhere to go so they came in you know we we had copious supplies of diet coke and water for people and you know after an hour or two um with people clearly feeling edgy i decided to crack open a bottle of wine as well and just sort of try and put people at ease because it was it was scary it was it was quite surreal do you think your partner would rather you weren't an mp at all no i don't think so but um, it does have a toll. It really does have a toll on, on family life as well. And there are, 
you know, some MPs over the years who've just gone, do you know what, this is too much. This is too much for me and for my family. And I think that's not healthy for politics if people were in that position. And it does definitely take a toll. I don't have kids, but it definitely takes a toll on people with children as well. Where's Streeting MP? And only on this show would you go from that to herpes. Alex Fox is up next after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's time for our weekly filthy dip into the foxhole. Alex Fox is with me once again. Hello, Alex. Hello, Ollie. What have you been up to this week? I have been to a party mm. uh, at a very, very upmarket strip club called 23 Paul Street. Very, very upmarket strip club. What does that mean? Inside, it's got, they've got like really amazing posh taxidermy and a big rail full of besequined antique outfits that you can just put on if the, the whim takes you. And it's a really beautiful space with posh wallpaper. And it feels like entering a cross between a members club mm. and an amazing theatre production. Okay, so you were there. Uh, it was for the launch of a new sex toy called The Satisfier, mm-hmm. which sort of sounds like... I think a perfume produced by somebody from um, Hollyoaks or something, doesn't it? <laughs> it sort of looks like uh, one of those ear thermometers that doctors use. It's, it's got this kind of nozzle on the on the front that you place as a woman over your clitoris, mm-hmm. and rather than vibrating, it sucks in and out at high speed. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, th- this kind of uh, pulsing sucking motion is really popular within the sex toy market at the mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Are there product demonstrations? Uh, they were very kind and gave us a satisfier to take home. Right, so I was so, yeah. able to demonstrate on myself demonstrate behind later that doors. evening. Yeah. Fair enough. I think my neighbours got a demonstration. How? They could hear it through the walls. Wow. <laughs> Lived up to its name. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Uh, there are a whole range Long of sex may toys it do so. available on mycondom.com. And it is thanks to them that we bring you our listener question. Uh, your product of the week, Alex, from mycondom.com. It is the Jurex Intense Condom, mm-hmm. uh, which is coated with a special gel that has different effects upon different women. According to your body chemistry, it can feel tingly, cooling or warming. So give it a try and see what happens to you. <laughs> It sounded a bit Mystic Meg then, didn't it? <laughs> you exactly Mystic did. Smegma. I was trying to think who that was. <laughs> and it's that very particular pronunciation <laughs> that you did. I could be Blistic Smeg. Our question is from Alice, who says, I have a question about genital herpes. I had my first outbreak nearly a year into a committed relationship. Uh, the relationship fell apart because he stopped being intimate with me, and that made me feel like I was dirty and damaged. How will I ever have sex again without it being awkward or scaring men away? I'm terrified of telling future partners and I'm worried no one will want to come near me again. Sorry for the deep subject matter, but I do think many people have this exact issue and they're too scared to talk about it. Alex, what's your advice? I am really, really sorry, first up, Alice, that your partner had such a a bad reaction to what, as you very rightly say, is an extremely common issue. In a committed relationship, clarify that for us, because I thought basically any STDs, really, if you're in a committed relationship, you're monogamous, after a year, 
they shouldn't really be happening. Nope, absolutely not with herpes. Herpes can be caused by one of two strains of virus, herpes simplex 1 or herpes simplex 2. They can live either on the genitals or any kind of moist mucous membrane. So they can be in the anal area, they can be underneath the foreskin on a guy, they can be around the the vaginal area or on a girl. They can also live on the lips where they uh, manifest as cold sores or they can also, in certain cases, if there's an abrasion on the skin, uh, actually go on fingers so they can be uh, transferred if you've had uh, hand contact with somebody who's experiencing an outbreak on their genitals. There have been cases of people having them on their knees as well. And in the majority of cases, people who pick up one of these herpes viruses show no symptoms whatsoever. If you are somebody who has symptoms, they usually show up within about four to five days of sexual contact or if you've caught a type that resides in the mouth through kissing. However, they can come up out of the blue about one to two or even many years later after you've picked up the virus. They can be triggered by things like if you're particularly stressed, if you're really, really tired, if you're run down. Uh, So it is absolutely possible and indeed very probable that Alice picked up herpes from a past partner. Indeed, she may even have got it from her current partner. If he is a carrier who doesn't experience symptoms, he could have given it to her. It may have been residing in her nerves nervous system undetected for a very long time and then for whatever reason if her immune system's a bit low it's popped up right now her partner really really shouldn't be shaming or blaming her for this well uh, yeah but that's maybe easier said than done isn't it i agree shaming or blaming sound like negative words but maybe he he literally was turned off by it and couldn't handle it i mean it's not a very mature reaction but you know it, it's not nice is it to have sex with someone with herpes actually it's not a good idea to have sexual contact with the genitals of somebody who's experiencing a herpes outbreak if someone is experiencing a herpes outbreak that has symptoms for them then what they are likely to see are liquid-filled blisters around the genital area which form and then often pop and they can be incredibly painful. They can be really, really stingy. While somebody is in the early stages of those blisters forming and sometimes you get kind of tingly or burning sensations as you would with a cold sore that are a sign that something's on the horizon, from the moment you get that potential signal that you're about to have an outbreak all the way through until your blisters have scabbed and healed, it's very advisable not to have sexual contact with your partner or or that that's genital to genital sex, that's oral sex received from them and that's sharing things like sex toys or allowing them to finger you. Basically, don't, it's a good idea not to have anything near your genitals. So he was right to do that, and, yeah, and you're, to, uh, probably... Yes. I mean, I doubt that Alice actually wanted him to go anywhere near her bits if she was experiencing an outbreak that had blisters because it, be, it can be really quite sore. Different people experience it differently, but um, it, can be, it can be painful even to pee, particularly for women. Some women find that they have to do things like uh, wrap um, some ice in a tea towel and sit on it because it's that painful or they're... Or urinating for example is so excruciating that they can only pee 
in the shower with a stream of, of cold water directed at their down belows. It can be really uncomfortable. Whilst you're experiencing an outbreak, that is when it's most likely for you to pass on the virus. So during that time, yeah, you shouldn't be having that kind of sex. So when she says, how will I ever have sex again without it being awkward or scaring men away? Surely the answer is, wait until the herpes have gone and then what's the issue actually? Well, you can actually potentially still pass on the virus when you're not experiencing symptoms. It's a lot more difficult, but there is a condition known as asymptomatic shedding where uh, the virus is still present in the skin and you can pass it on. However, short of having uh, protected sex, so using condoms, using femidoms, there's not a lot that you can really do to prevent that because you won't know that you're likely to pass it on your partner probably won't know that they've got it from you unless they experience symptoms so advice for her when she says what can i do with future partners what should we say one thing you might find uh, useful when speaking to partners about it is to say i have a very common skin complaint hmm. Herpes, I mean, the same virus causes cold sores. If somebody has a cold sore and goes down on you, it is possible for you to contract genital herpes from oral herpes. However, the two viruses do tend to prefer one part of the body rather than the other. That's but a thing to be aware of, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, I didn't it's know good that. to be aware of. Yeah, it doesn't always happen that way, but it is possible. Uh, but thinking of it like that, thinking of it as a skin complaint, a cold sore, essentially, mm. in a sexual place mm. might help you to wrap your own head around this and also to explain it to partners. One of the reasons that stigma is attached to herpes is because it can look unsightly if you have an outbreak and also because uh, there isn't a cure for it. And people find it understandably frightening when they're told you have an uncurable STI. Mm. If you are someone who experiences symptoms from herpes, you're likely to have potential outbreaks again the good news is that each time these ha this happens it's likely to be quicker and less painful they're likely to become less regular and you may even be put on a long-term course of antivirals to try and stop that happening altogether so it's even though there isn't a cure it isn't something where the affliction is going to be a problem all the time and it is manageable um there are actually herpes specific dating sites you know there's a number of them there's several in the uk there's one called is, is that for people with herpes to get together yeah there's okay. one called so we both Hype. have this issue yeah we're Let's both not call the whole thing off yeah we're both herpes positive herpes positive that's yeah. not i mean I, it seems obvious that that would be the phrase for it but it's not something i've ever actually heard yeah one of the dating apps is called hype and it stands for herpes your positive experience it's designed to reduce some of the stigma about being a carrier of herpes alice might also be interested in a recent online social media campaign which is called shout your status this was set up by a group of women who thought that um, STIs are a majorly common thing and in most cases are curable or manageable. But whilst we all, we all talk about if we've got the flu or a cold or, or all sorts of other infections and viruses... but well, lots I wish of people, people wouldn't on social media. <laughs> well, a lot of people are... Uh, 
a lot more reticent about admitting that they have other very common problems. Mm. For instance, like they might have had chlamydia or they might have herpes. Shout your status is people saying, we need to take ownership of this because the more we talk about it, the more it becomes accepted that this isn't an awful, shameful, cringy thing. This is part of being a human. And the more open we are about it, the more we can help each other to control and manage the symptoms we do have and live wonderful, emotionally supportive sex lives. If you have a question of sex for Alex for next week's show, what do people need to do, Alex? They can head over to our website, modernmanma.co.uk, click feedback and ask me anything you like. And that is also the place to go to leave feedback about whether Alex has helped you in a previous week. Next week is our Foxhole Feedback Special. So if over the previous 49 episodes you found any of Alex's advice particularly useful, we'd like to, or not useful, we'd like to revisit that with your feedback on some of the, as you say, Alex, surprisingly common sexual issues that we have highlighted over the past two years. Uh, also, thanks to MyCondom.com for sponsoring this section. We wouldn't be able to do it without them. Alex, remind people of our discount code. Well, you shouldn't be doing it without them either, folks. The <laughs> discount code is FOXHOLE and it gets you a whole 15% off. Well, that is very nearly it, but I do just have time to anoint a new ambassador. It is Scott from South Shields, who says, Ollie, I just bought you a beer to say thanks. In the last couple of months, I've been doing some of the biggest exams of my life, found your podcast on Spotify, and binge-listened to settle my nerves while studying. It worked a charm. Hopefully, it will have the same effect for my upcoming oral exam, and I'll become a qualified navigational officer in the Merchant Navy, at which time I promise to buy you a keg, never mind a beer. Uh, I'm going to take a military man at his word, Scott, and I hereby pronounce you ambassador for South Shields. Congratulations. Our theme is by Django Django, who never got us a backstage pass, but we love him anyway. And stand by for our record of the week. It's the latest by Isabella Machine Summers, originally from Florence and the Machine, and her track is called Was It Love? I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you next Tuesday. So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance. On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine. On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers. And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every week. Weekday, wherever you get your podcasts.